everybody. Welcome back to Looking for the Real God. This is Christy Lynn Wood. Today we continue to dig into my Christian cult, the problems within evangelical Christianity, and our own religious hearts as we ask the question, what? I have not jumped back into the crazy teachings of my Christian cult, if you want to call it that, in a long time. But as I've been going through this series and asking these questions that we're going to be asking, I have jumped back in and looked at things a little bit more. And gosh, it's so interesting to look at them with like clear eyes and a clear perspective and just to realize how many things were almost true. Like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That sounds right. But then it's it's twisted. And that's really what we're going to talk about today as we connect the dots and we ask the question, what? What are these beliefs that we have? And how do we find out if they're actually even truly biblical? And like I said last week, I feel like there is this kind of underlying thing that seems to connect the experiences that we've had within our churches and our Christian culture. And there's this like, religious intertwining of junk that's happened. And as we're looking at like Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll, and then we're looking at the Institute and Basic Life Principles with Bill Gothard that I was a part of, it's like, why is evangelical Christianity always on the wrong side? How, what is it about this version of the faith that just tends to suck us into these kinds of things? And so this is what we're going to be just wrestling with and asking these questions and exploring over the next few weeks. And it's interesting because, I mean, for all practical purposes, I still kind of am an evangelical Christian. Like, that's kind of where my faith lies, sort of. And yeah, at the same time, I don't fit into many of the boxes that evangelical Christians put themselves in or would put other people in. Like, I'm I'm on outside. So it's just interesting. Um, We've been talking to a lot of people lately who kind of feel the same way. And I'm like, all right, so we're just these orphaned believers, as um, Sarah Billups puts it. And we're just kind of like doing our thing, like, okay, well, we don't really fit in the box anymore, but we're just going to follow Jesus. And guys, if we look at who Jesus hung out with, like, this is good. We're in the right spot. Like, he did not hang out with the religious people. He did not hang out with people who were trying to do all the right things and follow the right things. Like, he hung out with people who were messed up. He hung out with the sinners. He hung out with people who rejected the Jewish traditions, and those are the people that he was seeking after. And so I think we are in good company as we just sit on the outside right now. And we look in and we try to say, okay, what does this even mean? And where is the truth? So we're jumping back into the beliefs of my crazy cult this week again. And I just want to kind of explore the season of my life where I was kind of questioning and doubting. And yet at the same time, very much involved in teaching children the seven basic principles. I look back and I'm like, cringe, cringe, what was I doing? But I just, I've always loved kids. I've always loved to teach them. And so, yeah, here I was, brainwashing children. So fantastic. Yikes. Anyway, um, within the Institute in Basic Life Principles, there were these seven basic principles. I know, that's so descriptive, right? Yes, they believe that there were these seven basic principles. And I actually looked them up on the website 
because it's been a while and I wanted to make sure that I was telling you appropriately what they are. And just reading this, I was like, ah, ooh, gross, yikes. But according to IBLP and Bill Gothard, there are these basic principles. And listen to this. They said, just as there are universal laws that govern the world of nature, there are basic principles that govern our personal lives and relationships. These seven basic principles apply to every person, regardless of culture, background, religion, age, education, or social status. So somehow Bill Gothard came up with these seven, ironic that there's seven, you know, the perfect number, basic principles. The principles are design, the idea that we've been created a special way, and they go really into it, but like we're designed a certain way that we can't change our design. And there's like 10 different unchangeables within design, but we're not going to go into that today. Authority, conveniently, because God has placed authority in our lives, so we must not question the authority. Responsibility, which is basically like I'm responsible for what I do and I need to have a clear conscience and make sure that I've asked for forgiveness for everything I might ever have possibly done wrong. Suffering, which is (laughs) also ironic since you're in an abusive situation where the authorities can do whatever they want, but suffering is a good thing for you because God's going to grant us grace to, you know, achieve our personal best through suffering and forgiveness of the people who have offended us. Also ironic. Um, Ownership, which is actually not about what you have, but what you're going to yield to God. So the things that you have and the rights and the boundaries that you should have, no, no, no. You must yield all of that to God and just let people do whatever they want to you. Also ironic. Freedom, which is the idea that if we confess all of the sin in our lives, then we're going to find this freedom. Yeah, the power to do what's right. Mm -hmm. And then finally, success. That if we will memorize and meditate on God's word, we will have wisdom and making good choices and we will have blessings and success in our life. How convenient. So those are supposedly the seven basic principles that govern all of our personal lives as created by Bill Gothard. Yes. So unfortunately, there is just enough truth and those things, it sounds like it could be right. And when you go to the basic seminar, which is level one of his kind of whirlpool, like we talked about, um, it sounds good. And there's just enough truth to kind of suck you in and make you think, hey, maybe this really is true. This sounds Christian. This sounds like stuff I've heard in my church before. He's quoting scripture. This must be true. He's got five steps to this and seven steps to that and three steps to this. And maybe I really can get my life together. And then, as we talked about last time, There was the advanced seminar, which we would go to next. You could get involved in his homeschool program where you had wisdom booklets that were also kind of centered around these seven basic principles. And then each time there was just enough to kind of hook you and draw you in. And yeah, 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 this sounds right. Without recognizing the twistedness and just things that were just kind of taken out of context or just some of the stuff that's like, if you read that, you're like, wow, this is all about these people being like victims and like oppressed by somebody who can be like, and now... I can do whatever I want because I'm the authority. Mwahaha. But you can't say anything because that means that you haven't forgiven me or, you know, what other other craziness. And you can kind of see why people who were already abusive or narcissistic or just had mental illness would be drawn to this kind of a thing because it gives you this power over other people who then just have to submit and have a clear conscience and forgive indefinitely. Ad nauseum. Yield your rights. You know, you must suffer. Suffering is good for you. What a bunch of junk. So anyway, um, as I've shared before on my podcast, I ended up going through the basic and advanced seminars 
through a college-like program that I did through IBLP and ATI after I graduated. And I had to just prove each point through scripture. And I couldn't. Like As I got into the scriptures that they listed and really looked at the context, I was like, that's not what this means. And with deadlines approaching, and I had a lot of other classes, it was really difficult. So I started just like looking up keywords in Strong's Concordance and just like jotting down enough of the verse for it to make sense. But that just really started my whole doubts and questions about all of this. I'm like, is this even real? So you would think that I would just reject all of that and run away. But no, nope. In, <laughs> in 1999 to like 2002-ish, I was still teaching at the basic seminar. So because people, they wanted parents to come to the basic seminars, they would provide childcare, child training, programming for your kids. And all of these wonderful students in ATI in our navy and white outfits would take care of your children for you while you went to the seminars. We would teach the children the seven basic principles. And we did them with arts and crafts and skits and stories. And there was small group and there was a big group and it was super fun. I loved it. But I think back and I'm like, what were these parents thinking? Like they just come and like, there's this nice big room with all these little stations and there's these, all these lovely young people like dressed the same. Like that's really sketchy. Why are they all wearing skirts and why are they all in navy and white with big smiles on their face? Why do they all have curly hair? I mean, this is, wasn't this weird to anybody? Didn't anybody be like, wow, this is a little weird. Maybe we should run away. No, they didn't. And I think it's because by the late 90s and early 2000s, it wasn't so much like mainstream. In the 70s and 80s, the basic seminar was mainstream. Like everybody was going to it. We didn't have children's institutes at that point in time because there wasn't any students in ATI to teach them for you. But it was less mainstream. And so I think a lot of people that were coming to the seminars at this point in time were either already homeschooling, they were already very much involved with ATI or IBLP. There were um, people who were coming that were just desperate. They were kind of in this desperate, broken state in their lives. And they were like, well, maybe this will help. And so it was just kind of sad. I mean, it's it's sad. I look back on it and I see the people who are coming to that and the parents that I met. And it's like, you either had these like super conservative homeschooling families who were just, you know, coming to do their due diligence or bringing their older kids that could, I don't even know. Or you have people who were just, they're just desperate. They're just broken and desperate and looking for something that would fix their life. So here I am teaching children's institutes. And I actually taught children's institutes. Even like the last one that I taught, I was hiding my cartilage piercing under my long hair. Because <laughs> I had already been to camp and I had gotten my cartilage piercing and I was, you know, hiding it under my long hair so nobody would see it and realize how evil I was. Ay, ay, ay. You know, what was I what was I doing? What was I thinking? How was I willing to just do this? Well, I really I really wasn't. This season of my life from the time I was like 19 until I was about 21 or 22 was kind of just a dry season for me spiritually. That's such a Christianese phrase to say. But I look back and I'm like, yeah, because you were doubting, you were questioning, you were wondering what in the world is going on. And you were really cynical about a lot of stuff. So of course you were feeling like distant from God. And, and like I was, and I just didn't really, I wasn't really thinking a whole lot of things through of like, is this a good idea or not? I just knew that I was just had a lot of conflicted emotions. And yet at the same time, like I was doing what I love to do, which was teach children. And so it just made sense for me to jump in and teach a bunch of these children's institutes and just spend time with kids. And I had some friends that we would travel around together in different states and stuff like that and and teach 
And so it just kind of made sense. So what am I doing with this? Why am I talking once again about these crazy ideas and the instant basic life principle? When I first started looking into my story, I really <laughs> thought, wow, Gothard had way more influence than I thought he did. Like, it's everywhere. I'm seeing this in mainstream Christianity. This is nuts. Like, this is scary. What in the world? And I've changed my mind. I don't think that Gothard really has, like, had as much influence, although he's had a lot. And you'd be shocked by how many people have gone to his seminars over the years. But I think there's more to it than that. And I think it's so much about us broken people and how we are just so quickly drawn to religion. We're drawn to these behaviors, to these formulas. We're drawn to promises of peace and success. And, you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, then you're going to get this outcome. And we just, we're just broken. And part of being enemies of God and being broken is that we just, we want to do it ourselves. We want to do it without him. And so we are just drawn to this junk. And if we don't have a good understanding of what scripture really says, if we haven't looked into it for ourselves and we don't understand context and just historical background and just all of that kind of stuff, it's really easy for the Bible to be twisted and for us to be taught something that seems true. And you're like, that makes sense. That sounds right. And yet it isn't. It's anything but true. It's a complete lie or it's just twisted truth and and it's messy. And guys, this is what I see in the Christianese bubble world right now. And you ask, you know, what's going on with evangelical Christianity? Why is it always on the wrong side? And I think there's just this underlying current within evangelical Christianity that just kind of is drawn to this, this twisted half-truths and this religion. And we tend to get focused kind of on the same things. We're drawn to these formulas. We're drawn to promises of success. Evangelical Christianity doesn't really have like that history that some of the more liturgical churches and denominations have. We don't have the same history and creeds and like just things that we hold to. We don't have the same authority structures within that denomination that kind of keep us in check. It's kind of like this no man's land within evangelical Christianity where it's like anybody can come along and say, oh, I have a word from God and and like this is the truth. And we long for an experience. We long for something real. And so here we end up in this place. We want to be biblical. I think that's just a big word people want to use. Like there's this idea of like biblical womanhood, biblical manhood, biblical family, biblical, like anything. You can throw that in front of anything. And we just get sucked in. And there's this culture that we've just kind of accepted and adopted. And like, this is what it looks like. There's this judgmental attitude that we're okay with. Like we're like, this is us, but that's them and they're bad. I mean, even the way so many evangelical Christians talk about the higher order denominations like Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Methodist or Lutheran. There's just this like, just negativity towards them. There's just this judgment because they don't do things the way we do, or, you know, they're caught up in these traditions and stuff. And yet here we are doing like whatever we want to do with no framework whatsoever. And, and we're just lost and we get sucked into just crazy teachings and, and, charismatic but abusive leaders and 
yeah, like, I don't know. So we're going to just keep exploring this for the next little while. Like, what what are we looking for? What are we doing? And why is this so similar? Why are the things that I experienced in my Christian cult the same things people are experiencing within Mars Hill? And the same thing people are experiencing within other broken churches and broken Christian organizations. Why are they the same? Why do we keep doing this? So as I close today, I want you guys to think about that. Think about the formulas that you've heard that sound biblical, but maybe aren't. Think about how people want you to be Christian enough, whatever that looks like. These behaviors that you're expected to, to follow and to agree with. Think about things that sound biblical and yet maybe aren't. Think about just these standards that we hold up even higher than the gospel sometimes. Expectations on people that's even more than just the gospel. Think about how the gospel just isn't always even that clear. And think about how often we long to have this Christian culture over truth. How we're holding to a certain set of beliefs or a certain group of leaders. And we want that more than we want truth. This breaks my heart. It it breaks my heart to have gone through what I've gone through and yet see so much of the same stuff within mainstream Christianity and having even more people being broken by it. And then just walking away because it wasn't really Jesus. But as I've said a million times before, I believe in a real God. I've experienced him. I've met him. I believe in the Bible. I believe in the Holy Scriptures. I believe in the creeds of the faith. And so my goal in this series is just to dig in, ask the hard questions, just ponder and wonder, and then hopefully just turn our eyes to the real Jesus and away from this fake imposter that we've created because of our religion. Next time, we're going to ask another question. I'm hoping to get through what, where, how, why, and when before we end this series. Love to hear your thoughts. Always, always welcome to reach out. Guys, thanks for listening. Until next time, keep searching. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would love to have you join me over on my website at christylynnwood.com. For more content, free resources, and opportunities to connect with a community of people who are looking for the real God.